My dad is actually the sexiest thing I could do right now. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Just hair and makeup. I just saw. You did, yeah. It was your attempt, attempt of going into hair and makeup. Exactly. <laughs> That's all that I do any given day. Look at you. Where the hell are you? Santa Barbara. Yeah, uh, Paso Robles. I was in Santa Barbara yesterday. What were you doing? Uh, I was picking up boards for the auction. I I interviewed Devin Howard. And... Sweet. Interviewed Devin Howard for the podcast. Yeah, the boardroom podcast. Good for I'm kicking you. It, I'm I'm kicking it back in. That and Devin so and I are such good friends that we just ripped. You know, we just and it was yeah. like an hour and forty minutes. You know, it was like nonstop. But a lot of it was we talked about cutting each other off. <laughs> you know, the whole conflict. You know, that's funny the concept because of conflict and yeah. It's funny because I've gotten to know Devin, but you've known him so much longer and much more kind of in just everyday environment. So I was curious yeah. to hear how that conversation, because I know both of you, but I'd be curious to hear your guys' conversation. Well, was, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, he, I basically was like, okay, you give me your version and I'll give you my version. You know, right, we heard right, both right. versions. That's pretty good. All right. Are well, we we're recording? we're recording. I don't know if you want any of this used or not used, but people might want to hear your Devin stuff. Well, they'll hear it. I mean, I'll put it out on a podcast. Okay. Well, yeah, after. guy. Yeah, yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. It is Spit David Lee Scale Scott Bass with you talking all things surf, and it's Wednesday, February tenth. February tenth, the year twenty twenty one. We're in the middle of covid but um it seems like maybe we're not i don't I thought, know seems... i thought it was supposed to be over at like nine no, months ago no. remember we did two weeks of quarantine quarantine back in march yeah remember when i was like trying to figure out ways to go surfing i had a whole plan i i, I infiltrated the california state beaches and surfed and got caught and the whole deal buried a surfboard a i buried a surfboard <laughs> Somebody, oh, what a somebody will find that you know, like a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, and it'll be like a time capsule. I sold that surfboard actually. Oh, really? And I just yesterday I ordered another one from the guy who built it from Matt Calvani at Bing. How did you sell it? Through what service? Um, probably the board source. Yeah, okay. I bet I sold it to the board source. And it was a great board. So Matt's going to make me... So I have this magic twin fin that you know about. The twins are the Mike Hinson twins are the golden nugget. It's like the magic board. I've had it forever. And But it's 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 broken. You can't ride it anymore. It's, it's, it's lost its mojo. It's done. Um, I milked the shit out of that board, by the way. But anyway, I brought the board to Matt. I go, Matt, this was my magic board. And I also like the board that you made me, which I want to say, I forget the name of it. It was like, it wasn't the Dharma, but it was one of Matt's models. And it was a cool little quad. And I'm like, let's marry both of these. Like, let's get some of this mojo from this Hinson and make me something 
you know, whatever, six one that I can ride. And so Matt and I are trying to get that going. The model that Matt made you that's not the Dharma, was it the sunfish? No, if you said it, I'd know it. I want to say it was like, um, I don't know. Why, have to look at why did you select Matt as the person to replicate the board? You know, I just get, I get along really well with Matt. Like Matt and I, like we end up talking for like, every time I see him, we end up talking for 40 minutes about just other stuff, you know? And, and, but you know what? Matt's an incredible shaper. He's an incredible surfboard shaper. Like Matt can build you a super high performance shortboard, uh, a fish, and he can also make you the most incredible, um, you know, like, um, 1959 Pat Curran Yater gun from Hawaii, you know, or something, you know what I mean? Like he can make anything. No, I'm a big fan. Hey, so talking about that 40 minute side conversation that you had to have with Matt and you, you just have to have it. I, I, we just had it. So that's my, that's my question though, is do you love those 40 minute convos? Cause right now you said it in a way like, Oh, I love Matt because we get to talk. And I think yesterday I was in this scenario twice where I was just going to try to sneak in and sneak out. And then I get caught. And it's like, as much as I like this person and I enjoy the conversation and actually it's going to be the most fulfilling part of my day. Yes. I just don't look forward to it. Like I will try against my own best interest to avoid that person. Well, okay, so a couple things. First of all, you you kind of nailed it, right? Which is that's going to be the most fulfilling part of your day. And it will only be the most fulfilling part of your day if you actually are listening. Like if you're actually put aside all your anxieties of the other stuff that you have to go do and just sit there and engage in a very sincere and authentic way and and realize that that when you do that, when you truly listen, when I truly listen, I'm truly in the present, which is why it's the most fulfilling time. And that's what people are going to remember about us, David, is did we look them in the eye and we're because people can tell when you're like trying to get out the door. Totally. But if you're but if you just relent and give up and just be with it, you know, you're going to have a fulfilling conversation and missing whatever you're going to miss isn't that big of a deal. I feel bad for guys, surfboard shapers specifically, because I feel like every customer that walks in wants that 40 minutes of their time. So I'm yes. impressed that Matt can actually engage in it so sincerely because I've had those interactions with Matt as well. He's he'll be super busy and then he just drops everything and wants to chat. It's like, I'm sure there's 10 other guys today that want to do that. Well, there, and there's a lot of stuff that he and I have in common, you know, like um, the history of the surfboard, you know, like Matt can give me, I can learn so much from Matt regarding, like we were just looking at an old board I had that we're putting in the auction and he was like, well, see that right there. That means this. And, Oh, you know, like he was just going through this stuff and I was just like getting all these little gems and, and, you know, so I was learning a lot and, and we just, like I said, we have a lot in common about the history of surfboard design. Well, we could really make this entire show about surfboards uh, specifically because a bunch of my topics relate to it, but I'll read you one listener email first. Um, that touches on last week. He says it was the email came through with the subject line board pricing. And he said, Hey, David and Scott, hope all's well. I've been meaning to reach out. I've been wanting to touch on a topic that has been a recurring theme over the years on the podcast board pricing. 
In short, I don't quite understand it. What motivated me to write you guys was something that Britt Merrick said. I just did a uh, podcast with Britt Merrick. So he said, uh, not only does Britt love making uh, pe- love making surfboards, he loves seeing people stoked on boards uh, that when he's shaped the right ones, and then those people end up loving the surfboard. They love this commodity that they've gotten because Britt made it. And it struck me that a number of surfers and skaters growing up in the pandemic um, are going to feel that kind of extra. They're going to be harnessing the tailwind of emotion, emotional attachment combined with the short supply of the boards that shapers are kind of focusing all their energy on. And this might be the perfect time to push up pricing a bit. I know that the argument against increased pricing is that it's going to cost more for the surfer. But if you consider that the real, uh, the real possibility of surfer of shapers going away and having to find new work because surfboard shaping doesn't pay enough, then I think it's hard to disagree that the current economics of local board building doesn't work and that we we should all be willing to pay more. It's enlightened self-interest. One of the things that is usually missing from the discussion about board pricing is data, actual prices of surfboards. And Scott probably has a ton of that data based on auctions. Um, He actually went through the, this emailer went through the effort of putting together a little spreadsheet of boards that he's bought over the past maybe six or seven years. And so it was interesting to kind of look at that. He's advocating, though, essentially for increased board pricing. One thing that he pointed out with the data is that it's kind of all over the board, you know, like iconic shapers who could charge or like Chris Christensen was one of the guys that he got a number of boards from. Chris's prices weren't that high. Chris could charge more. And then there's new guys like uh, Ryan Birch who charge 40 percent more for the equivalent board. So he was just commenting that pricing is kind of all over the board, Um, but maybe it's good that the young guys like Birch are actually driving up pricing because certainly Christensen can benefit from that and anybody else can as well. What are your thoughts, Scott? Yeah, a couple of things. There's some interesting stuff there. One of the little anecdotes or little items that popped into my head was Jeff McCallum. Jeff McCallum created this situation of scarcity that he kind of, I don't know where he got it. He might've got it from Skip Fry, but, but Jeff would do this thing where he's like, I'm only building so many boards this year. And if you want to get a hold of me, good luck. Like he would make it difficult for you to get a hold of him. And then he would, but he would also put out this really great sort of aesthetic, this sort of very um, uh, finely crafted social media, you know, like, a really, it was very pleasing and it was very, and he's a great surfer and he's a great shaper. And he did all these things to create this demand. And then he would pull back, you know, he would like kind of go, no, I'm not letting you bite the hook just yet. And so his, the prices of his boards were, were nice and high, I guess, if you like high price surfboards. So there's that thing, right? They always sold, right? There was only a wait list. There's only a wait list. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I know well, he sold a the, bunch on the East Coast. By the way, yeah. do you know what the retail pricing was approximately? Let's say twelve hundred dollars. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know the exact, but it was it was, you know, like a third more than if you went yeah. into Surf Ride in Solana Beach or whatever. You know what I mean? Yep, gotcha. So they were pricey and they were highly refined, and 
unique and a lot of, you know, a lot of color and blah, blah, blah. There were, so this idea of scarcity um, is something that drove up his prices. And he did that on purpose, obviously. Um, the other thing is what's driving up what, by the way, board prices are going to go up. And I'll tell you what's driving up board prices is the obvious thing is demand, right? They, they've, we've never seen this. This is amazing. The amount of surfboards that are being produced and sold in the last year is mind blowing. And what's happening and what may drive up the price of surfboards isn't necessarily because Christensen and Britt Merrick and John Pizel are great shapers. It's going to be because the labor force is being poached. If, if you, there are factories out there that are, there are workers that have been there for 10 or 15 years that are leaving and going to other factories because they're getting better pay. That's going to drive up the cost of our surfboards. Yeah. Now, this whole thing is kind of driven on this COVID bubble and this bubble could burst, you know, in the, in a, say the fall. I don't know. We don't know when it's going to burst and we don't even know. Maybe it, maybe it won't burst, but labor shortage is an issue that's not being examined in this particular email and in this particular conversation. But I think labor shortage drives up the cost of surfboards going forward. Should surfboards be cost more? I'm always a proponent of that. Um, I'm, I'm always going to be behind that. And, um, for a number of reasons. One, these surfboard manufacturers are my clients. And two, I believe in my heart of hearts that surfboards are worth more than, the, than, we, than we pay for them now. And three, um, I think even like the backyard guy, which is usually the guy that drives down the cost of surfboards, there's so much demand that they're even going, yeah, well, 700 bucks, you know, like, <laughs> 700 bucks for my board or 700 bucks if you go to surf ride, you know, like everything's like 750 bucks. And so the smart backyard shaper guy these days, and a lot of those guys, they all kind of, well, I don't want to say they all emulate like the Christensen sort of paradigm, but they all look to certain guys. Like they all look to Birch, at least in my area, all these backyard, like fish mid-length shapers, they look to Birch and to Christensen as sort of the paradigm, like the, those are the guys that we want to be like, and, and Birch and Christensen are selling 950, $1,100 fishes. So yeah. that's helping push the price up. Well, they need to be able to justify that price. Like I'm fine with prices increasing, but if the backyard guy is making backyard quality, you know, like if he doesn't have proper laminating and sanding, then the board is going to fall apart or simply not work as well. And it'd be a shame if he's charging high prices for that. So I think what you said is important is that the guys who are charging the most money for the board should be using that money to hire the best talent in the industry. So then if they have the best sander, the best laminators, and those boards are bulletproof, they last a long time, and then it's worth the added 30%. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, I would I would agree. And then, by the way, that also creates a feeder system because you see these sanders and polishers and whoever fin setters making a decent living. And let 
maybe we can even get to the point where people are able to buy a house in Southern California, you know, doing this type of trade work. And so when you see people doing that professionally, then 20 year olds who are coming out of college and they are looking at potential job options, this could be a job option for them. This could pay a similar amount to some other trade that they get into, you know? Well, I, I believe uh, that there's definitely a void in that area there, sanding and laminating. I think that right now, and that could change rather quickly, right now, if you have that skill set, you're in a good place. Totally. I think you can go and demand, you can, and if you're able to move around and be kind of regional or not regional, you know, be able to, to be quick on your feet, you can go get a job, right? I know you could go get a job right now up in the Santa Barbara area. Yep. If you got the skill set. Yep. Um, talking about the McCallum model, the wine industry has done that really, really well. The California wine industry specifically, where a lot of um, wineries kind of in the mid 1990s, let's say, realized that we're never going to be Robert Mondavi or we don't want to be Robert Mondavi. We don't want to be Kendall Jackson and be in every grocery store because that's a ton of headaches and it's a ton of bureaucracy and it's a ton of layers of staffing and all these intermediaries that you have to get involved. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a tiny plot of land and we're just going to make the best out of that. And we're going to create oftentimes a false sense of scarcity. So they just cut, like you can only buy it on the mailing list. And then they stop adding people to the mailing list and they only make three bottles available to the few people that are on the mailing list. And what ends up happening is um, this gray market, a secondary market develops. And that's what I was going to ask about Jeff Sports. When, that, when he was kind of at his zenith of creating that scarcity, I bet there was maybe a premium on resale boards, you know, or the resale board wasn't $500 on Craigslist. It was probably the equivalent to what you paid brand new. And in the wine example, the wines are actually double the price on the gray market. So if you were lucky enough to get on the mailing list 10 years ago, you don't even drink the wine. You buy everything that they'll allocate to you. And then you send it and then you send it straight to auction and you double your money because That's it's not so funny, but the, the detail in there is it's not worth it's drinking. Commodity. It totally it's a commodity. It's become a commodity at this point. Yeah. And surfboards yeah. aren't, I think there's a lot more art in surfboards. Uh, but, and there's just, I don't know, there's more um, practical usage, you know, like there's no way to justify buying a five or drinking a $500 bottle of wine, but there is a way to justify buying it and reselling it for a thousand dollars. So um, one other detail not to add too many things, but I was talking to Greg Martz once and he was talking about how he does these, uh, because he's friends with Bob Hurley, Bob was like, man, you should do, well, Martz was doing these like resin panels as art, you know, like, oh, just off cuts of, we mix this color of resin. We have some extra cloth over here and he would roll the cloth around a panel of wood maybe, or maybe it was even foam and just create these squares that were resin panels that you could hang on the wall with surfboard offcuts essentially. And Bob's like, dude, these things are really cool. We should do like a little gallery showing and try to sell some of these. So they did. OC housewives, real housewives of Orange County were coming through and paying three, four times the price for a resin panel that he was charging for surfboards. 
<laughs> you know, so it takes way less work. It's the scrap offcuts from something he was already doing. There's no yeah. contours that you have to hug it to in lamination or anything like that. It's just a square piece of whatever yeah. art, essentially, that goes on the wall and you could charge $2,000 for it. But the, here's the rub. You can't make too many of them. You need scarcity to keep exactly. that value there. Exactly. Exactly. But or just the big enough marketing machine to where there's worldwide demand and you, you know, yeah. you're trying to fulfill that. Amazon. But I mean, honestly, that I think this goes into the pricing conversation, which is it's perceived value. A lot of it is just perceived value. And so I think it'd be wise. Some of the board builders we've mentioned already have done this where they recognize, look, my time's at a premium and I need to make X number of dollars to make this worth my while. Otherwise I'll just go get a job doing software developing. You know, I'd yeah. rather do this. So if you just pay me the right amount of money, then I'll do this. And so know your value, I would say. is. Yeah. And that brings me to when I interviewed Jim Banks about this, he, that was sort of his thing. Like his thing is like, I have hundreds of hours, if not thousands of hours developed into this particular model of surfboard. I mean, I've ridden it and shaped it and designed it for 50 years. I've gotten to this point, you know, it's worth some money. And if you don't want to pay it, fine, go get something else. But if you get it, you know, then I'm here for you, you know? And guys like that, I mean, honestly, he can make two, three boards a day if he's working, if he's trying, like if he's actually wants to work. And so he could fulfill that. You know, there's enough people who want that thing. He doesn't need a line of people down the street. Just one or two or three a day is fine. And, and frankly, that that's a, a really powerful marketing message. You know, like I was, I was immediately like, shit, I should get Jim to make me a board. You exactly. know, like this guy's got 10,000 hours of, and I've, you know, I'm sure this board, you know, going to be really nice, you know, but um, I got too many boards. Dude, I do that. Plus all, getting, I mean, I do that all the time. Getting a board from Bali from Jim Banks is just, there's a lot of headaches involved too. What you got to do, basically you got to do is you got to fly there. Yeah. Pick up the board. Eventually what you really do is you just leave the board there because why not just have a board in Bali, you know? So anyway. our preamble before we started recording, you were saying that you were at a surfboard factory yesterday. Did you buy a new surfboard at that factory? Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> of course. Yes. I almost bought. And then I was at, um, I was also at Roger Nance's, um, you know, um, surf and wear beach house there on state street, yeah. you know, his surf shop, Roger Nance's surf shop on state street. And when I was there, Bob Duncan was delivering boards, Bob Duncan from wilderness surfboards. And I was like, wow, these things are sick. Like I would they were, they were looking killer. He had these really neat stubbies, you know, kind of like a Michael Peterson kind of a stubby thing, single fin, kind of like a triplane hull bottom, but kind of a holly displacement hull up in the nose. Like the whole thing looked really sexy. You put it under your arm, you're like, yeah, this will paddle me. You know, like I was super close to just buying a board off the rack right there from Bob Duncan. And, um, Luckily, I got pulled away for some other thing I was doing there, but because I, I was really close to him, maybe I should just get this. As as like, I was kind of rationalizing it. Like, I drove all the way up here. When am I ever going to get a chance to buy one of these wilderness, you know, kind of cool yeah. little? Anyway, but I didn't. Probably well, should have, but I didn't. Well, another conversation is uh, Jordy Smith is partnering with his dad 
to ride his dad's boards and also kind of develop and build that board brand. So Graham, yeah. Graham Smith, G-Force was the label previously. They've kind of uh, transitioned it into a brand called Smith Shapes. Yeah. And look, Jordy, he's looking, you know, he's made some money. He's made actually millions of dollars and he's got a couple of investments. And I think he's looking at this as an opportunity where the market's booming. Dad's got... 50 years of experience at this point doing the actual thing. He clearly knows what he's doing and it's an oh, opportunity yeah. to take the business to the next level. And what are your thoughts on this? Um, I'll say firstly, or I guess a question that I'll ask you is Jordy went from writing JS to channel islands. Occasionally he was writing Chris Gallagher's shapes because Chris Galley was coaching uh, Jordy throughout the way. Is this the reason why Jordy has not clinched a world title? Because he's been on too many different boards, as opposed to Kelly working with Al for 20 years, John John working with Pizel for 20 years, Gabriel working with Johnny Cabianca for 15 years or whatever that number is. Um, I mean, we've talked about this before. It could be part of it, you know. Um, I will say this, that I think his chances of of being a world champion are greater now that he's sticking to his father's boards. And, and I'm not sure he's just sticking. I don't know this for a fact, but I like the, I like Jordy's chances to win a world title much more now than I ever have. And part of it is because he's sticking to something that he knows. And, and I think that's a big part of it. He's got his dad, a mentor. He's he, Jordy's at a place in his life. Now he's got a kid. He's like, he's, he's at a place where, that stability is not only, um, it's not so much that it's needed, but it's just, um, it helps to, prov to provide glue to everything that he's doing. You know what I mean? And, um, and I think it'll help him. I don't think necessarily that Jordy could have won a world title on his dad's board, say, 10 years ago. And it has nothing to do with his dad's boards not being worthy. It had everything to do with Jordy's mental framework. You know, Jordy 10 years ago was like a superstar, young kid, millions of dollars, O'Neill this, O'Neill that, had every shaper in the world chomping at the bit to get him boards. And his dad's boards didn't, that's kind of not that sexy. You know, Jordy was in like a sexy stage. Yeah. Now he's in a like, okay, I've matured. I'm ready to go. I'm fit. I'm surfing better than I ever have. I have a young family and I don't need sexy anymore. My dad is actually the sexiest thing I could do right now is is surf my dad's boards and be with a guy who's been shaping, who's my legacy. I'm his legacy. We're tied together. It makes tons of sense. I'm excited for this. I, I think, and you know me, I've kind of like been, um, I just didn't think Jordy had it in him mentally to win yeah. a world title. And I think that now more than ever, if Jordy's going to win a world title, it could be in the next two or three years. If, if could just because he he's, he's matured. I sense that he's matured to a place where it's like, okay, I see what's in front of me. Yeah. And a world title would be a, a pretty smart move and I'm going to go. Well, the only thing that mattered to me out of all that is I'm going to pull the quote of you saying, his dad is the sexiest thing going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that didn't sound so hot. <laughs> um, so firstly, if there is a world title to win, secondly, there could be the exact opposite thing that happens, which is, there, there's a tremendous amount of drive required to win a world title. And usually it's the people with their foot on the gas pedal. Occasionally it's Joel Parkinson, you know, who's already like took his pet foot off the gas and 
the thing that you're talking about happens where he's able to kind of fulfill the space that he already occupied, you know, he's already the best. He's already the most seamless. Yeah. He's already. And yeah. so now that his family's on tour with him, he can kind of rest into the space. So that could happen, but more often than not, it's the person kind of pushing boundaries and, and uh, with their foot on the gas pedal, I guess. But I, I mean, as a surfer, I think he's got all the talent. I, and so that's the thing with this conversation, because it came up with um, Taj and Stab in the Dark. I think episode two, they talked about all the different shapers that he's written. And Taj said, you know, I really enjoyed essentially growing the relationship and experimenting. And then once we kind of got it locked in, it was no longer interesting to me. So he did that with Maurice and he did that with Nev. He did it with Biolis. And um, so, but that, but he never got a world title either. So when we've had this conversation, I think there's two things happening. There's the actual objective refining of the design. So over the course of 10, maybe it takes 10 years of a relationship with the shaper of refining something to get to the point that it is at this kind of 10% better than all the other competition, but nobody actually develops the relationship for that long. Or maybe there's the second thing being the spiritual aspect that you're talking about, where you're just... Kelly and Al are just that comfortable that the boards work better or the person is just that comfortable because the shape, the surfer is that comfortable because they're not uh, working hard to manage this relationship and this detail of their life. It's just locked in and settled. They don't have to think about it. So now they can just focus on getting a 10 when they're in the water. Yeah, I think it's more, I think guys that jump from shaper to shaper, it's more, it's a crutch. It's more like, it's not that the boards that he's riding aren't working good. It's that he's looking for the next yeah. sexy thing. Agreed. And the next, and unfortunately the next sexy thing is right in front of him. It's the boards he's already riding and they use it as an excuse. Like this guy's holding me back now. And that's yeah. simply not true. You know, what's true is that there's a reason that you're not advancing in your career and you're using your shaper as the, as the scapegoat here. Yeah. And, and, there's guys that are like Kelly that are like, dude, Al Merrick is the friggin' man. Like, it's not going to get any better than that. I mean, it, there's other guys that are just as good, but, you know, I'm going to see this thing through. Yeah. And, but what we're also doing, which is, I think is wrong, is we're correlating. If you stay with one shaper, you're going to win a world title. If you don't, you're not. And I don't think that's true either. I, I think that the boards are great. I mean, Stab in the Dark there's anything that you take away from stab in the dark it's that guys can make great boards and guys can make not so great boards and it just kind of depends on where you're surfing and the state that you're in mentally and what your body shape is and have you so when you said oh, it takes 10 years to refine a shape i'm saying no what it takes is 10 years to continue to adapt to how things are changing with the specific surfer it's an adaptation it's not a refine to get to this ultimate you know place where God, it took us 10 years to get the board under your feet that you're killing it on. No, usually the first board, you're like, I love this guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And now it's a matter of not, not refining, but adapting. And to, to help you make your point against me, uh, there's far more examples of people who have had 10 year relationships with shapers and never won a world title, (laughs) you know, like the vast majority don't. Yeah. 
So and the world title is elusive. There's only one of them. You know what I mean? There, there's or or zero now. Right. Well, I think I mean that we could jump into the next story if you well, want. Well, we can, but real quickly, um, in terms of shapers uh, surfer relationships, maybe the ultimately mistimed departure was Connor Coffin going to JS earlier, like, I don't know, six months ago. JS obviously is developing a footprint uh, for like kind of setting up distribution in the US. And so I think they just wanted like a marquee American writer who would help usher the brand into the market. So Connor switched and within six (laughs) months, Channel Islands, you know, allowed their team writers to buy into the business. So Connor's much less visible brother, Parker Coffin, is now co-owner in Channel Islands and will probably be benefiting from that financially into retirement and his kids will be benefiting from it. And I'm sure Connor will do fine as well, but still it was like kind of a mistimed uh, calculation on his part. Yeah, look, Connor's a great, all the surfers at that level are incredible world-class surfers, but um, that doesn't seem like a good move on either of their parts we'll see maybe i'm wrong but i'm not sure you know i mean at the time he didn't know so you just do what you got to do but it in hindsight it was mistimed yeah you know who's that who's a really great regular foot that rides for o'neill and firewire that um that surfs all up in the north in alaska and stuff timmy timmy reyes timmy reyes yeah to me, Connor's kind of like Timmy Reyes 2.0. You know, like he's he was on tour. He's going to do okay. He's going to win maybe an event, have his moment at Santa Cruz or whatever, yeah. hold up the trophy. But in two or three years, you know, you got a guy that plays guitar. Yeah. <laughs> Which he's been working on. It's coming along. Which he's great nicely. at. I, I mean, I think, I, he, I, think, I think he's, and I hope he moves product for JS, you know, but I, it's not, on my Instagram feed, I'm not seeing a lot of Connor Coffin. I'm seeing sponsored ads from him. Uh, which, by the way, I'm not even throwing shade at Connor Coffin. He's always been. I'm not been, either. I'm not he's here always to do that. been. He's always one of my been, favorites. Totally. Like the style of surfing that he does from the from when he was really young. By the way, he'd come through town, and I'd just be like, "Dude, that kid's insane." I'm a huge fan, but he's mi- yeah, miscalculated he's like, business decision for sure. Perhaps we don't know yet. We'll see how it plays out. But I'm gonna um, guess CI is gonna do pretty good for the next couple <laughs> oh, decades. No, no, for sure, for sure. But. Um, I mean, my take on Connor is that he's, he's, he's really is truly California. Like to me, he's like, he embodies that whole Santa Barbara vibe. He, like he, you know what I mean? And he, yeah. and it's authentic and it's authentic, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's a different vibe than Southern California. Yeah. Not that, I mean, I know Santa Barbara's in Southern California, but you know, regionally it's kind of a regional vibe. But the funny thing I, is I think Connor's great surfer. The funny thing is, um, People who don't live in in California probably don't realize it. Because if you look at a map, Santa Cruz is actually the middle of California. Yeah. You know, so like everything beyond that, you could call Northern California. But to you and I who live in Southern California, anything past LA is like Central Cal to us. And then once you get to San Francisco, we call that NorCal maybe. But it's... Um, it's all well, the, kind of an attitude and a vibe more than it is geography. Yeah, it is. Especially the, the if you're in San Diego, you know, county line is Northern California. Totally. totally. <laughs> but, but, but really, as you well know, and Californians well know, 
the real dividing line is point conception for me, because point conception is where we get a total change in wind and swell. At, you know, there's northwest swells that'll reach north of point conception that won't filter into the ranch and all that. Yeah. And so, and and it's a big big part of it is the winds and the Channel Islands. I think that's really where the line is drawn is point conception. Yep. All right. Well, are we segueing into WSL talk or what do you got? Yeah, look, the WSL's long-held Rip Curl Pro Bells has been canceled for the second year in a row. And David, to me, what does this really mark? This marks the first event that's been canceled twice since this COVID thing. Everything else they've been able to, we've only had one cancellation of everything. Now we're into the second cancellation of the longest running or used to be longest running surf event by the way this is a great trivia question what is the longest run consecutive running surf event it's like pipeline it's run two years in a row or <laughs> you know what I mean? like, like that whole that's that's a trivia question that needs to be that we need to figure out what the question is and we need to get come up with the answer so i think what's the, question, the longest running yeah, i think right. the question needs to be covid aside what is the longest running surf contest and bells was the answer up until right now so now bells well, isn't. No, but what do you mean COVID aside? It, it still is if you're saying put aside COVID. No, it the isn't. The reason it's been canceled is because of COVID. No, the reason it's canceled this year is because the, well, I guess maybe you're yeah, right. Yeah, dude, it, it's COVID. Come on. It, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Yeah. Well, they could have, they just hadn't received, they're re basically replacing it with Meriwether is what's happening. Well, yeah, I'll continue on. But that's the one thing that, that I don't want to get lost in the lead. Gotcha. Is that this is the first event that we've lost two years in a row. Yep. So the cancellation came as a result of the Victorian governments in Australia, their failure to guarantee accommodation for an incoming international flight of professional surfers, which was going to come from L.A. that the WSL chartered. Local officials in Victoria were too busy dealing with the quarantine situation of the Australian Open of Tennis, David, which you and I have referred to numerous times. Um, the Easter time event brings an estimated seven to eight million dollars to the Torquay, to the Victorian region. That The Bells event brings seven to eight million dollars regionally through tourism dollars and other stuff. The World Surf League's general manager, Andrew Stark, have you even heard of this guy? Just within the last couple of months. Shared the locals' disappointment. We obviously love Bell's Beach. We love that event. But the first event this year, due to the pandemic and the challenging circumstances, has to happen in New South Wales because that's where our charter is landing. WSL has a private plane scheduled to leave in March, land in Sydney. From there, all the surfers and the tour adherents will spend 14 to 20 days in a Sydney motel, hotel. The WSL has started, has stated, excuse me, their intention to run a minimum of four events during the Australian leg. An event in, New in Newcastle was added to the tour schedule following protests from Lennox, which you and I described last week. The Newcastle event is scheduled to run over the traditional Bells Easter window from April 1st through the 11th. Following Newcastle, WSL moves to Margaret River in Western Oz, then to Coolangatta, Queensland for the final event. However, it's possible that following the recent Bells cancellation, the WSL will attempt to squeeze in another New South Wales event between Newcastle and WA to achieve their desired four event minimum, 
lot to unpack there, but the, the big one to me is where in New South Wales are they going to do their fourth event? I don't know, but I would like to say congratulations. If the WSL can actually pull this off, this was a tremendous uh, undertaking and so many hoops. And I've been the one saying there's no chance that any of this comes together. We're now looking, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel of this actually happening. And so bravo for the, all the efforts made thus far. However, if Victoria is like, look, this is not enough lead time. We're so, we're so um, busy dealing with the tennis quarantine. This is not enough lead time. We can't promise you that we can accommodate you guys. Well, then the WSL is really taking all the risk and liability by saying, too bad, we're coming. <laughs> like, I know you guys aren't promising accommodation, but we're coming anywhere. And yeah, they're saying we're not coming to Victoria now, we're coming to Sydney instead. But that, to me, if the government isn't fully confident that they can accommodate and pull it off, it shows a kind of surprising amount of hubris from the WSL to be like, too bad. We're landing this jumbo jet and we're uh, going to do Wait a minute. Hold on. Let me, let me push back on this. Okay. I don't think they're saying too bad we're coming anyway. I think the government of New South Wales has Ex already given them the green light. Exactly. They're ready to go. What you're exactly. dealing with here is five different governments. Each state has their own quarantine protocols and policies. And so it's quite a, a, a you know, there's a lot of different policies and protocols that you have to deal with depending on which state you're in. So New South Wales has given them a green light. So they're not saying too bad, but they're saying, thank you, New South Wales. We appreciate it. We're on our way. Right. You are entirely right. I'm saying it still is a very thin line that, of difference. What? That's the sound bite you need to grab. <laughs> right. You're entirely right. That's what you need to grab. You're, that's you are, sound. you are, but kind of the point that I'm trying to make is that it's a very thin line, like between New South Wales versus Victoria. And it wouldn't take very much for New South Wales to be in the exact same situation that Victoria is in. And the WSL is rolling the dice in a pretty big way by saying we, but they have to, at this point, they have to, unless they- Everyone is. Look, the, the tour, the tennis tour is rolling the dice. Everyone's rolling the dice. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not just them. It's not like the WSL is like going- look at me, I'm going to show up and show them. They're just going, hey, look, we're just trying to pull it off. You know, your country wants us. We want to be there. Just like the, the like I said, just like the tennis tour. Yeah. And a lot of other events. Over yeah. There. Well, if they can make it happen, it'll be an amazing, you know, navigation of all of this. I feel like the WSL is low hanging fruit. It's easy to bash on them. You and I do it a lot. You more than me. And it's just, it, you know, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Who's bashing? Now, in the past, we have bashed. I mean, like I said, it's easy to kind of bash the WSL. They're, you know, the, they haven't made all of the greatest moves. And it's so, not bashing. We're it, Criticism is I, valid. I, I agree, but I, I just, all I'm saying is that there are times like you just you just kind of bashed them. Actually, you did. You're like, 
they've got all this hubris. And I'm saying, no, wait a minute. They don't have hubris. They're just, they've got permission to land. All the surfers want to be there. You and I want to see the event. The state of New South Wales wants them there. They're just going there. They're not like showing up like King Kong bashing on their chest with hubris. Yeah. Well, again, that's bashing. Again, if they could pull it off, I'll be impressed. I really, I'd be surprised. So this plane, the idea is, let me let me run through some possible worst case scenarios. Not bashing. <laughs> not bashing. Okay, yeah, yeah. Let, why would you provide best case scenarios? <laughs> well, you just okay, read. The... You just read what the best case scenario is, right? Okay. So all right, go ahead. Go ahead. So this plane is uh, scheduled to leave California early March for Sydney. 300, 300 athletes and uh, WSL staff. What are you laughing at? Sounds bad already. Exactly. No. So my first question is, does that mean that the Brazilian surfers have to get to Los Angeles, quarantine in Los Angeles, and then fly with this jumbo jet? It does, right? Everybody who's going to be competing has to go. So yeah. I, I think that is already not going to happen. Why? I don't think that everybody, all the athletes from around the world on the men and women's side can get to LA and make that flight. And, and by the way, all tests negative throughout it. They all are going to have to be, you're going to have to be negative for sure. Exactly. You're going to have to quarantine in LA and test negative and not do anything. And my, so my thing is, let's say they don't make, let's say a couple of guys don't make it. Let's say for instance, Chloe doesn't make it. And, well, Chloe's here. He'll make it. Well, my point is, let's say there's a Californian, there's a Brazilian, or whatever. Let's, let's, let's say, say they Chloe- show up without, without the full field. Yes. So what? Keep going. They're, they're having football games without the full field. They're having baseball, you know, basketball games without the full, all the players because they tested positive. Well, that's too bad. Guess what? Yeah. That's what we're in a pandemic. People test positive. It happens. So you're going to okay. still have the event. I'm okay with this. And I think the problem that I'm bumping up to in my head is trying to maintain a world title scenario that we've already, that we, that we had in 2019 and trying to shove this into that. I think I need to eliminate all of that and just be like, look today or this year is a total flyer and we're just going to wing it. And we're going to go try to run events with as many people as we can. Maybe it's an interim world title. Maybe there's some other name. Maybe it's a regional title. You know, there's an Australian champ this year, something else that we can rally around, but there's, this is not, it's already not a world title year in my mind. No, you're wrong. This is a world title year. All right. They're going to have at least six events under their belt. And as we mentioned, CJ won with five. Yep. We're going to have four events in Australia, two pipeline events. And I bet in, in say, October, they're going to fit something in somewhere. I don't, I don't think they're going to Europe. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll agree with you there. Let's take Europe off the table. But... I think that they can charter a plane somewhere. I don't know where, but even if they don't, they've got six events in the books, in my opinion. I think six events are reasonable. Two pipe events and four events in Australia makes a world champion in my book. And in the eyes of the WSL, I'd like to hear what the listeners have to think. I'm wondering if given all of this, there's some of the athletes who just opt out, you know, like going to Hawaii, Owen Wright didn't go, Ace Bucken didn't go. Um, I could see some surfers, maybe Kelly Slater would be a great example of this. Just going, look, I, I I'd rather kind of focus on 
things that I can control this year, places that I know I can get to. I don't want to lie in wait for the WSL to kind of jump through hoops at the last minute and then try to go participate in an abbreviated year. I've got other things going on. I'd rather do my other things this year. That might be the case, but I would suggest to you that um, they need to pull out about 30,000 feet and look down on this from a historic standpoint. And my feeling is it's kind of do or die. Like I know Ziff's got a ton of money and maybe he's going to just prop this thing up for another five years. But in my opinion, culturally, not even fiscally, but culturally, if, if we are to prop up the concept of competitive surfing, of surfing as a sport, we need to, we need to kind of like do everything in our power. And that means biting the bullet. It's going to suck. You're going to be on a plane with 34 other guys. You're going to be in a frigging hotel for two weeks under quarantine. It's not the best situation, but it's time to man up for competitive surfing. If in fact, this is a thing that everyone's rallying around. I personally feel like competitive surfing, professional surfing is, is one of those things. It's like the glue that binds. We might not all agree with it, but it helps to bind the culture in some way, just like print magazines did back in the day. You need something to keep, it's like part of the keel, you know, it's part of the compass to keep the ship going, you know, not like in the doldrums in circles on Instagram where all of a sudden, you know, well, I think it's important. I I think the surfers have to step up and and man up and, and take one for the team. It might not be the best case for them individually, but I want to believe, I want to believe that it is part of the keel. But this last year or two that has we've existed without it, my life's been fine. I'm not saying I'm not saying it. We can't exist without it. You're not hearing what I'm saying. Look, you and I are going surfing, and the the 45 million other surfers are going surfing with or without pro surfing. And you're right. But I'm talking about having a some some sort of center point, some sort of glue that keeps. Look, Devin Howard actually said it great. Competitive surfing, if you look at our historical timeline, competitive surfing has a lot of those points on it, on that timeline, culturally significant points. Simon at Bells with the thruster, um, the first ever pipe masters, um, you know, with, with Corky telling Jerry Lopez to go back to the town, we're not holding it. Um, I mean, I'm just, there's a million of them. You know, I'm not saying get rid of it altogether. What I'm saying is in this year of flux, I could see people like Kelly who have already won their 11. Hold not, it's not the second year. It's the second year of flux. That's yeah, where I'm, I'm, I'm okay with one year of flux. We can't have two years of flux. Well, we need a world champion. In you're going to be holding it. You're going to be holding the flux together with duct tape then, you know, and, and I could Wrong. see, I could see somebody like Felipe Toledo like who Griffin Colapinto, like guys like that, like, yeah, absolutely, Scott, I'm there with you. And I want to build this whole thing up, prop it up and be a part of it. But I think there's a lot of other guys. And by the way, Jordy might be one of those. We were talking about Jordy earlier, Jordy with a young family. Can you go to Australia for five months for three, yes. three plus months without any contact? And by the way, maybe get locked down if- if you I mean, care about something bigger than yourself, you no, can't. You're right. They care about their family. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. They care about their investments. Right. They care about all that's, these other things. 
And no, so I'm saying that that this is their biggest down payment on a huge investment. For a lot of people, the, it isn't the legacy anymore. of pro surfing. Because I, I there's 32, because there's 32 people on tour instead of 15, a lot of them this you. isn't their biggest investment. And that and that might be the new thing. Maybe this disruption has happened and it's over. I don't know, but I'm just saying that I think I think it's important to I think it's culturally important to have top level professional surfing, and we've missed a whole year. And I think if we miss another year, it could be over. So. I've, I've maybe I, this is going to get a lot of email. I know you're going to get the winning side of all of these emails. They're going to be like, Bass is just pro surfing, blah, blah, no, blah. No. Well, <laughs> so it's interesting. I've been feeling like the WSL just kind of as a business has been kind of in a insolvent position, kind of getting worse and worse amplified by COVID obviously, but even before that, however, I did get an email from somebody who, um, was pretty close to the middle of the brokering of the deal when the W when the WSL, when Zerf Dirk Ziff got involved and the ASP became the WSL, he essentially was involved in brokering that deal. So he dealt with Dirk directly and he was like, you don't get it. He has more money than you can comprehend. And this is a fun passion play for him. And yeah, in, you can say, oh, who's going to throw tens of millions of dollars away every year? But there are people who can. There are people who it Yeah, again, it I'm not saying matter. financially. I'm not saying financially. It, I know that there's unlimited resources. I'm just saying, first of all, how fun can it be if it doesn't exist for two years in a row? You and I both know it was kind of a passion play based on his wife. Yeah, a little bit. I don't know how much, what percentage of that is true, but she was a big part, I think, in, in being enamored by Steph Gilmore and the women's pro surfers. And she should be They're They're fascinating. They're mar they're a marketable bunch. Um, but how long is this? How long is that? How long is he going to be enamored? You know, and I mean, he's a smart guy. And you're right. You know what? $10 million is nothing when you have 30 billion. It's yeah. like, you're the one that told me that, but did you tell me $1 million is 12 seconds and $1 billion is 32 years? Didn't you tell me that? I think your daughter told you. And then as you were trying to restate it to me, I knew that, knew it right off the top of my head because I read that book too. And it's actually 1 million seconds is 12 days. 1 billion seconds is 32 years. Okay. So that's uh, a huge difference. <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, it's, it's honestly- it's honestly, when I was growing up and you would just hear numbers like, oh, so-and-so made $50 million last year. And then Oprah's worth a billion or whatever. I'm like, okay, those are pretty similar. 50 million similar to a billion. I don't know. It's all fan fantasy land for me, but it's not. Those things aren't even close. So yeah, him, uh, you know, the company losing tens of millions of dollars a year, they can operate at that loss. And there are philanthropists. We can just call him a philanthropist at this point. Uh, who underwrite, you know, college educations for inner city kids or whatever for decades and decades on end because they're benevolent. And so we could be in a situation where we have a benevolent overseer. Let and, me throw and it has nothing you. to do with fiscal solvency. When, when I was a young surfer in the early 70s, you know what I, I devoured? I devoured pro surfing. When I was... 15, 16, 17 years old. 
I devoured Breaking Down the Door era. I devoured the Smirnoff Pro. I devoured pipe, the pipe events on NBC, even though it's six months late, you know, they would show it. I devoured um, everything that had to do with pro surfing. And I bet you did too, when you were a young surfer, I bet you were all about the OP Pro probably, right? And you were all about the US Open. And, and that's what young surfers right now, 15, 14, 15, 16, 17 year old surfers, they're devouring when they grow up, they're that's they're devouring Kelly Slater. They're devouring no. Toledo. They're developing Gabe you're, Medina. You're missing this, it. Okay, so what are they devouring? Cook of the day. Yes. Free surfing. Yes, you are absolutely right that you and I were growing up with that. But those surfers were radical. They were personalities. The ASP and whoever else embraced those personalities. And so, if I wanted to kind of see what Shane Beshin was like, or Andy Irons or whatever, it was often through the lens of competition. That's not true anymore. The WSL has been providing us the most bland, homogenized version of our surf experience. And so for kids, they're looking at Jamie O'Brien riding soft tops at Pipeline or Kanoa Igarashi blinging out his Audi. You know what I mean? Like those are where they're getting their inputs from. And those are more radical to them. Okay, so that's um, so. Then, then, then this really is the end of professional surfing. If if the fourteen year old, fifteen year old surf kid isn't excited about a world title and a world championship and professional surfing, sort of being the driver of the of the culture on some level, not not a hundred percent, then then this thing will be done in probably five years because there just won't be interest. Cause right now the, what you're saying is the interest is you and I, the demographic is the guy who grew up with it yeah. and it still has an interest in it. And this demo is not growing up with it. They don't, you're telling me they don't give a shit about it. I don't, and so I, it's I don't not, they, it's, they, they could take it or leave it. And so in five years, that's, or let's say that, let's say five years is, is, is like a generation. Maybe it's 10 years. This but whole thing's over. You're talking about kids, like if we're looking at kids, Sky Brown, well, the skater surfer, Sky Brown yeah. YouTube ch girl, she has a Barbie doll now, a Sky Brown Barbie doll. That's what they're chasing. And I don't know that Sky Brown has any aspirations to win world titles. And Sierra Kerr is who they're looking at. And Jackson Dorian is who they're looking at. And even to the extent that they're looking at Griffin Colapinto, it's his YouTube series probably that they're looking at. I don't think they remember his triple barrel 10 that you and I remember from the gold coast on his rookie year. You know what I mean? Like so it's a, a Barbie doll is what's important to them versus the grit and the moxie and the, and the determination of winning a world title, like what it takes to get that world title, which I would suggest to you, all a Barbie doll is is some marketing person going, hey, you look really marketable. Let's make a Barbie doll about you. You know, like that person doesn't really give a shit if you can charge 10 foot chopu. That's just some marketing lady in New York City that's like, fuck, we can make some money off of this girl. Barbie's influenced far more of our youth than not surfing ever that, has. What so. I'm getting at is I think that a, a, a Barbie doll is, is it's an vacuous. It's, no, it's vacuous. An... There's, there's nothing... There's nothing behind it. It's just it's just a marketing tool. It's not. It is, like at but at least it's a world title is like is like guys are going out and 
doing the hard, dirty work and 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 surfing gnarly surf and doing it, it, it's just it has more validity. For sure, it does. But it's an indicator into what youth is watching and where they're getting influence. And so, it ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, it comes down to what does that athlete want to do? And so, if the WSL creates a scenario and incentives to where those young athletes who are that influential want to pursue the things that you just said, then that's what the athletes will do. That's the decision that Gabriel Medina made. Gabriel Medina probably had a lot of options for ways that he can make a living on surfing and he wanted to win world titles. And so he did it. And will the next gen, will Jackson Dorian and Sierra Kerr make those same decisions? And right now with the state of play, I don't know that there's a lot of incentive for them to. I agree. And I see that as the, as, as there will be no more professional surfing. Yeah. And that's okay. That's just, that's their choice. That's the choice of that generation. Yeah. Our generation didn't have that. Yeah. Well, our generation had fewer options, by the way. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. Things have changed. It's been disrupted. Fewer options, fewer ways to make a living, fewer, you know, but uh, the reality is these kids that we're talking about can live a far better living, like a far better lifestyle off of professional surfing than traveling the globe with the world tour. Like the world tour. I don't know about that. How many of these kids? Well, not a lot of them, but I'm saying that traveling the world with the world tour for 10 and 20 years is kind of a grind. Yeah, but it's how many people get to do that? 32 out of 6 billion, 60 billion people. I mean, but my point is that it's a pretty special thing. Of course, but my point is that Sky Brown and Jackson Dorian can do a better version of it without the constraints of the all all that comes with the WSL. Yeah, but let's say Jackson and Sky Brown, they travel all over, they go to Costa Rica, they go to mainland Mexico, they they surf in Hawaii, they live in Hawaii, they've got everything at their fingertips. Those kids are are pretty, you know, they're pretty special as far as um their fiscal resources, right? They're not your average kid. Let's just say that. Um, they do, they live their life. They do their whole thing. They never get a world title. What, what is their, what are, what's behind their drive to be the number one liked person? Like, is that really what it's all about? Like getting the most likes? Yeah, that is exactly what it's all about. I know. I know. <laughs> and fis- that's not fiscally, healthy. That's not a no, healthy. No, it's not. That's my point. It's not healthy. I, I think traveling around the world for 20 years is probably a pretty powerful, um, provides growth opportunities that are incredible. And, and having to grind it and having to go, oh, you know what? I've got a budget I've got to follow here. And I, you know what? I've got to get to the semifinals just to get money for friggin' Cheetos on the flight you know, to Brazil or whatever. It's such a dated paradigm, dude. Like, and by the way, that's, I'm not doubting that. That's very few people who are able to do that version of a luxurious life too, you know, or, or a special life. But the conversation about, is it healthy to chase celebrity? Like at the end, what have you actually gained or that? I have no answer to that. That's not a healthy thing. I'm not advocating that they should do it. I'm just saying that there's it's actually a bigger. You're pool. saying chase Barbie dolls. I'm saying. I'm chase not saying to dolls. do it. I'm just taking an inventory of what's happening. 
And I'm saying right. you're, I am too. And I'm saying it's, I don't think it's the best outcome. I think that, I think that the pro surfing and I don't, I think that pro surfing provides something on a bigger level that we're not seeing. I'm not, you know what I mean? I, like I said, it provides these points in our legacy and in our historical timeline that are crucial. And I'm not even sure I have a full grasp of my argument. Obviously, I never really do. But <laughs> I think that I think that grabbing it, I think that chasing Barbie dolls, uh, you know, that's just the metaphor we're using, right? Is is just it's uh, it's a pretty thin, thinly veiled. What I'm run. what I, I hear you. What I'm trying to point out to you is that the world title for all the various many reasons, not just the WSL, but for many reasons ha is losing its importance. Kind of. And I'm, I agree with you. And I'm saying, I think that we're going to look back and go, that's too bad that happened. Yeah. I I'm totally agree with that. I think we need to place. And that's uh, why I'm saying these guys should look at it from a 30,000 foot level and realize this is a moment in history that it's kind of important for you to kind of just like go and do this. You know, I know it's not the best choice. I know you might not get as many likes. I know you might not get a Barbie doll. Yeah. I know you might not be able to spend as much time with your new family, but I think that you guys should buck up and go and do this and make this tour in 2021 happen. Do your part. And, and it still might not happen, but don't let it not happen because you decided, uh, probably better if I worked on a swallowtail design I've been thinking about. You know, no, go, go make the 2021 world tour happen. So I would like to state uh, that I as one would love for all of the competitors to make it to Australia and compete in all four events, because as a fan, I want to see the best surfers in the world competing against the best surfers in the world in the best conditions. And so if we can get four events in Australia and everybody makes it there and doesn't spread COVID, I'm a huge fan. That's what all I'm right, hoping well, for. And that gives us tons yeah. of content too. Yeah. I, and I think it's important on a much larger level than than just crowning a title. I think it's it, I think it's culture a little deeper. Yeah, a little cultural. Bit. Again, the culture the culture is going to survive, and and you and I, it has survived, you know, for the past year. But I mean, I think a great way to look at this is is, and this might just like add more fuel to your side of the equation here, is like look at the stab surfers of the year, you know it's kind of interesting. All right. Like I didn't, I, look, I didn't even look at it. So you'd have to bring me up to speed. Who, well, I who, haven't come. I tried to find it, but they, they basically had a bunch of different people suggest who they think yeah. are the surfers of the year. And, um, but I think somewhere, and I couldn't find it on stabs website. There's actually the final rundown of their top 40 or 50 surfers of the year. And Devin Howard was telling me that it's rather interesting because you know, the, there's quite a few free surfers in there. Like Torin Martin's above Kelly Slater. You know what I mean? Like, and and so, which I think is cool, right? Like that's a good thing, right? You know, that, that free surfers are finally getting acknowledged. If this was 1994, it would be all WSL, all ASP guys. It'd right. be like Damian Hardman and, for, you know, whoever. And um, so that's cool that, that now, you know, we're flush with a bunch of new blood that are free surfers that don't have to put on the constraint of that, competitive jersey and go and travel around and do this thing and, and and that's neat but i don't think 
you know, I, anyway, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I think it's important that we have the tour. Blah, I, blah, do blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I do too. And I think we're living in the best time ever as fans of surfing and as surfers. Like, so how do you, how do you mash those things? And I just think the WSL look part of not bashing the WSL, but being critical is because we love it so much and we want it to exist. And so being able to kind of take a survey of the culture and be like this, these are ways that you can be adjusting to add to the importance. Sunset was a great move, like add sunset on tour and that'll add to the significance of the title. This makes it more real. You know, this makes it more, um, uh, you know, it authentic, authentic. Exactly. So that was a good move. So, but that was, that was our move. They can thank us later. Uh, so yeah, so it's not all bashing, but it's all out of wanting the best. Look, okay. We went down a rabbit hole. Let me just, let me ask you a question. Okay. Where is the next new South Wales event that they're going to squeeze in here? Cause they obviously need our guidance. Dude, I, so, you know, how about Stratty Island? No, that's Gold Coast, but they should do it in Queensland too. Like, why are they limiting well, it they're to going, New South they're Wales? Going, if they're, they're going, yeah, if they're going to Coolangatta, let's go to Coolangatta early and go up to Stratty Island and have. They already had an event there. Let's have one You're in right. Stratty Island. They had an epic event there too. I know New South Wales is kind of tough because really you. You either get the central coast of New South Wales. You're not going to have it at Avoca. You're not going to have it anywhere. Meriwether's the only place on the central coast probably that you could have it, I'm assuming. What are you going to do? Have it at Foresters? No. You're going to have it at Terrigal? No. You're going to have it in either Sydney proper like Narrabeen or something, or you're going to have it at Meriwether. Or yeah. now you got to go to the Queensland. Which there's I lots maybe, of options at Queensland. Yeah, I agree. Go to Coolum. Surf, um, surf lakes. <laughs> uh, by the way, moving on Yana. from WSL, did you? Uh, yeah. are you still doing ARC method? I'm doing my own version of it. Okay. And, and invo- it involves sourdough bread. <laughs> no. I, you don't, no, so honestly, you don't I'm actually. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, and I should be. And part of it is, the run of swell we had the six weeks of surf, right? Yeah. I was doing it like I was, and, but it turned into just stretching before I surfed. I was surfing like a madman, you know? Right. I was surfing a lot. And, and so then it stopped. So I got out of the habit and then the swell stopped and I'm not back in the habit. I didn't go back to it. Yep. I was That's doing it while I was surfing. You so know? are you, are you going to get back on it? Did you yeah, see the eventually benefit? I'm going to get, I'm going to get, yes. And, and eventually I'm going to get so doughy that I'm going to have to, I'm going to lose my ability to, to pop up to my feet quickly. And my ego is going to demand that I get in shape. Uh, we need to keep God tabs forbid. on it. Let's be accountability partners. Cause okay, I feel like entail? texting each other. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it entails having the conversation every week. And so if you answer four weeks in a row of no, I didn't you've, do it. You've already embarrassed me. I better I'm exactly. gonna do it right after this. You don't want to yeah. be in this position next week in, no. of embarrassment again. Uh, I'm not doing our. Let me method. just say this: I ordered some new pants the other day. Like I always get the same <laughs> pants from Patagonia. I have a series. Of, remember, remember a couple of years ago, I go. I found my the outfit. mustard I'm wear ones. This out. Yeah. I yeah. Right. Them. The mustard. Yeah. 
They're called the Venga rock pant from Patagonia, right? For years and years and years, I've been wearing these pants. I probably have 20 pairs of these pants and they're in size 33. 33s don't fit anymore. Ooh. I'm, Ooh. I'm in 34s now. So I had to order all new 34s. Ah, no, you can't give in. You cannot size up. You got to keep 33, be uncomfortable for a couple of weeks while you're counting calories. And so you can fit back into those 33s. I have started to think about yesterday. I was at this chicken restaurant and I ordered the salad and I've toned back the sourdough a little bit, a little bit. Um, like I, like for a while I was eating sourdough every single meal. I had sourdough bread with the meal and sometimes yeah. it was the meal. Yeah. 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 Like sourdough bread with avocado. So it's a, a lot of it is about two things, diet and getting back into the arc. Okay. I'm going to include you on my journey and I haven't figured out how to package it yet for a podcast. I'm, I'm going to create a podcast series kind of, or something to document it. Cause it's actually been pretty interesting for me just to kind of personally engage in. I'm 39. I'm kind of at a low That's level. All? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, at, so. I'm at an all time low level of kind of fitness and also surf, surfing ability, just like I'm not surfing that great. And it's a reflection of eating and drinking too much. It's a reflection of not surfing enough. It's a reflection of, of course, getting older. So I, I had a thought going into the new year. I was like, could I surf better and be fitter at 40 than I have been in, let's say five, six, seven years? Yes. Yes. And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And it's because I'm not so far gone that it would take more than a year to recover. Where are you? Like what I haven't seen, what's your midriff look like? What I'm not sure. I'm not going to show what's you. What's your pant midriff? size? What's 32, your pant size? 32 since I was 15. It's still 32. Okay. But, but how the, much alcohol are you taking in a week? How do we measure this in volume? That's a good, I don't know. That's a good question. But do you well, feel I, like alcohol is a problem? Not, not for you um, lifestyle wise, but as far as your, your weight gain. Yes. So I did dry January. That's part of this conversation as well. And I, and I felt great, but. You're uh, kind of edgy that, that month I noticed. <laughs> um, so what I did, so what I decided was, how do I get to that goal? Can I be better at 40? Well, I interviewed Brad Gerlach. I don't know when a couple months yes. ago and he's doing wave key. And so he re and so I started doing the wave key thing where you just pay the membership and you do it in front of the TV. And Brad and I have been talking and Brad's like, dude, I will give you one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I'm like, well, you'd have to be a dumb ass to not take Brad's coaching one-on-one, -on -one, right? So I got to take, well, if I'm going to take this seriously, what's another hindrance of my surfing ability? Well, it's my weight. It's my midriff. It's How much my, do you weigh? I went, so when I first started tracking it, I was 185 and now I'm down to 175. Wow. Because simply tracking it matters. So counting calories. So I downloaded photo, surf photographer, bad boy, Rai Rai was hyping uh, my fitness pal is the app that he uses because he's been telling yeah. me about getting fit for like six or seven months or whatever. Yeah. So I downloaded the app and I'm just tracking the calories and it makes okay. all the difference in the world because little things that I didn't even realize, like you think that, Oh, a handful of nuts isn't unhealthy, but it's a lot of calories. And so you can substitute other things. I, so Scott, I'm just talking about weight loss right now with weight, too. I am when too. weight loss, sorry. 
when when you're talking on. about weight loss, literally, it's as easy as calories in versus calories. I don't think so. Right, well, I think you need what is a calorie? Define so, calorie. Do you even know what a calorie is? Because there's a lot of questions about calories. There's a whole new argument out there that people don't even know calories counting calories is 1950 okay well i've lost do you know what a calorie is i don't know but i'm just saying it's worked why are you trying to lose them i'm not saying it doesn't work i'm glad you're doing it i'm not trying to poo-poo what you're saying i would just i would just suggest that and i'm sure counting calories i know it works it's obviously working for you i'm saying look into what a calorie is because there's a lot of uh you know, doctors that are looking at it now and going calories, we, that's like, it's, it's old hat. So I will say what, one other addendum, one other addendum though, is I eat, I eat healthy in general anyways. So it, I'm never eating fast food. I'm rarely eating processed foods. I never drink a soda. So I eat a little bit of sugar, but it's like, you know, it's chocolate. It's like high quality chocolate, stuff like that. So when it comes to me counting calories, it means essentially portion control is what it comes down to for me. So yeah. Yes. Were you raising your hand? That's your problem. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Cause I interrupt so much. I got so many, you're bringing so many things to my head here. What do you have to say about portion control? Something we've already talked about. And I think this is super important and it's that fasting, that intermittent intermittent fasting. fasting, just just eat twice a day and then have 16 hours between meals. Yeah. That's well, going to make that immediately. You're going to only have two meals a day now. Yeah. That cuts out a ton of your quote unquote calories. So I'm not going to continue to go on cause I could, but all yeah. of this is to say, I want to be a better surfer. At, I don't want to be more fit at 40 than I was at even 35, maybe 32. And so working with Brad Gerlach, counting calories, obviously surfing more is all a part of this journey. Boards. This is why I'm going to do these board reviews too, is like, I'm actually taking notes. I'm actually applying new technique, all this stuff that Brad's working with me on. And this is all part of okay, a larger, we're be, larger you and I, conversation. I, I'm, I'm excited to be accountable that you're holding me accountable. I'm excited to hold you accountable. So you and I are now accountable and we have to figure out a way to do that. Is it just simply wait or is it, um, what did you do this week to um, maintain your, to get, you know, to drop your weight and to get in better shape so you can surf better? Like how we should, we should think, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but let's think about a way to yeah, measure we this. We'll figure it out. Because I'm inspired by you. You've inspired me to do this. Thank you. You know, like I, it's been in the, you know, like I was there and now I'm kind of back in pudgy land and um, I need to, I need to get, you know. Well, I saw the results. Five. In- I saw the results immediately. And again, doing the dry January, not drinking, eliminated probably 500 calories, quote unquote, a day, you know, or so um, I shed that first kind of initial weight really quickly, but I'm still off my goal. And in terms of surfing, I'm just not uh, as nimble and agile as I would like to be. And so that's where the wave key stuff comes in is like doing the forms at home. Okay. One detail about that, that I could, can say is Brad will point something out subtle, like a hip adjustment. And I go, wow, you're entirely right. I can't believe I've never done that. And then I realized the reason why I haven't done it is because it's physically uncomfortable. My body doesn't naturally go that way. So I've defaulted to what feels naturally comfortable. And he's like, yeah, well, that's why 
the whole program is designed for you to do all this stuff at home. Because once you're in the water, if you're trying to think about implementing that, it's almost a lost cause. Standing up on a wave and thinking about hip positioning is like a nightmare. So you practice this stuff at home so that it becomes kind of repetition so that when you're out there in the water, you forget everything that you've learned. It's like practicing a golf swing. You practice and practice and practice. Then once you go up to address the ball in real life, forget about everything you knew. No, and just do it. You know what I mean? That's the idea. Yeah. You don't want to overthink it when you're in yeah. the water. So diet yeah. and exercise allow me to get to the position to be in peak performance in the water. That's what I'm going for. Killer. Well, I'm glad to hear it. You yeah. and I both. All right, cool. Peak, peak performance. Uh, thanks to Neat Essentials. Yeah. Thanks to NVS Fins. NVS Fins. Big fan. I've been using them. I've been riding, using them. I got I love I got Neat it. Essentials and I love <laughs> NVS Fins. And I, I got use it. them and I'm happy. I got an email from a listener. He's like, when your NVS fin is so nicely foiled that it slices your Neat Essentials wetsuit at your calf, you know that you're a podcast listener. Oh my. And I'm like, yeah, how do they work for you? He's like, I love them. I'm on my third wetsuit. I'm on my whatever. So that was funny. That's cool. Yeah. Um, My must-see moment. There's been a few clips this week uh, that are worth watching. These kids are putting out, I mean, the Griffin Colapinto and Crosby Colapinto stuff is really, really good. Um, The drag, did you watch the drag bodyboarding video at all? I think my son sent it to me. I didn't watch it. It's pretty funny. I need to watch. I know they're funny. Those guys are funny. It's an hour long and it's not, I don't, can't watch it for a full hour, but it is funny. But no, Mason Ho. Mason Ho continues to deliver. So Mason Ho's recent clip, um, it is called Mermaid Mermaid Rock on the 1996 Round Nose Fish. So he's riding, obviously, the Mayhem Round Nose Fish from the mid 90s and surfing straight into that rock wall off a wonky wedge, the kid never ceases to uh, entertain. So I'm a huge yeah, fan, Mason Yeah. My musty moment is this movie called Free Scrubber with Tom Current's really good. Super never heard funny. of that. <laughs> well, who, who's the surfer in it? Can't get enough. I had a bit, I had an argument with, with uh, Devin Howard about the goat. Who's the goat of all time, goat? What does he course, claim? Well, you have to listen to the oh. podcast. I kind of forget. I kind of forget. <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> you were uh, listening to him. What was your claim? No, was the goat. Actually, you know who he claimed? It was actually fascinating, and it's a really good one. You'll never guess who he claimed as the goat. He claimed George Freeth as the I goat. I would not have claimed that uh, above Duke, which I thought was fascinating. He's like he, he's like he he brought Duke into the fold, which I thought was a really good sort of interesting point right an interesting take did george, george freeth freeth. Ever, did george freeth ever do an air reverse was tom curran does he have a barbie doll how many instagram followers did he have <laughs> how cool would that be to have a tom curran barbie doll <laughs> Rip Neil, Neil Ridgeway, Dylan Slater. You guys got to get on a Tom Curran Barbie doll. That would be friggin' sick, man. Get on it. With every Rip Curl purchase, you get a little Barbie doll on the like, you know, on the little strap thing, you know? It'd be hilarious. Yeah. Um, 
So you're still watching? Did you watch Free Scrubber more than once? Of course. Yeah, it's amazing. My favorite part was when he got the Free Scrubber. Me too. At the end. It's a Free Scrubber. That was a... A scrubber. Free (laughs) scrubber. Just the cadence. It's so ridiculous, dude. He's the best ever. That's why he's the goat. It is. I had this conversation with Britt Merrick. I'm like, he's like, who's the goat? I'm like, it's Tom Curran, man. Uh, my Duke, sad to report, surf uh, Bali-based surf photographer Brad Masters passed away at the age of 41. You know Brad's work and um, yeah. seemed to be living, positioned himself really well in Bali, seemed to be living quite the life. And he checked into a Bali hospital six weeks ago after noticing a gland swollen in his jaw. And after learning that it was a rare infection, he went through two major surgeries, but they were unsuccessful. The infection spread to his lungs, gave him pneumonia, and he passed away shortly thereafter, just kind of being in such a weak condition that your body can't fight off the infection. So tragic loss. Brad was 41, super fit. It can happen to the best of us. So um, rest in peace, Brad Masters, Duke of the Week. And I'll use that yeah. to also say uh, my a friend of mine has throat cancer and he's thankfully just kind of completed the first round of treatment at Hogue. But he's um, it's a scary situation. It was similar to this where he had like a swollen gland, went and got it checked out at a bunch of multiple different doctors who kind of were unable to diagnose, ended up at Hogue which is, you know, world-class hospital in Newport beach. And thankfully they were able to identify it. And this was like maybe two or three or four months ago. And so he started the plan of treatment at the beginning of January and he just completed it. Um, But really scary. And he's hit all the markers and he will survive very likely and all that sort of, but very, very scary situation and a radical life change. that's going to take, you know, a full two years to kind of get back to normal and just scary. So go get stuff like this checked out. This is a medical kind of intervention for stuff like this as males, I think, and middle-aged males, especially raised the way that we were, we'll just put stuff off. Like, I don't need to get that checked out. It'll be fine. Lots of times it won't be fine. And so reminder, if you got any nagging injuries or ailments, just go get it checked out. Good, good, good advice. I'm sorry to hear about your friend. That sucks. I'm, hopefully it'll work out for him. I, yeah, he, it appears to be that it will, but I mean, it's literally like you have a feeding tube that you got to take your nutrients in through. You lose all your Ooh. sense of taste and smell and all that. Like eating becomes a chore. And yeah, like my mom died of throat cancer actually a couple of months ago. So I know it's, it's pain. Nightmare. How old was she? Yeah. 85 brutal yeah yeah not a good way to go no sorry to hear that um yeah you know thank you yeah um you know what april 16th is friday it's a friday april 16th california gold surf auction golden guns and wicked wood we've got some sick boards (laughs) sounded pretty like an affected tone didn't it it sounds like sick boards, bro. No, no, golden <laughs> guns and wicked wood brought to you by yeah. the sexy shape smiths or smith shapes. <laughs> that sounds like some sort of like lead into some sort of movie. Golden, golden guns. guns and wicked wood. I was going to call it wicked guns and golden wood. 
but I thought the alliteration on the G's and the W's is better. Agreed. All right. So anyway, April 16th, Friday, the uh, auction items should be up online for people to view, you know, three weeks, probably the end of March, something like that. But awesome. I've been out procuring boards and it's been a fun, truly blessed life to be able to go to people's houses and see their gorgeous surfboards and talk with them about the history of surfing and it's such a incredible vibrant web of of history it's just great you know it it's is, so yeah. much fun to sit there and listen to these guys tell me about stuff anyway surfboards okay. surfboards are the greatest commodity in our lives yes yes they are okay well look um david great show until next time adios and aloha Wake me when the day breaks Show me how the sun shines Tell me about your heart Who could be so unkind Do you dream to touch me And smile way down deep inside Could you just kill me baby Yeah, it's hard to make up your mind sometimes My angel my devil, a phone in my pride. Angel, my devil, a phone in my pride. That's right. on me and you tell me with a whisper yeah, of things that'll never be do you help me breathe yeah make you wanna scream do you ever like a bad dream sometimes this life is obscene do you know what I mean yeah my angel my devil a phone in my pride My devil, y'all, a thought in my pride. Well, I got my hand, got my death, on the pride. Angel, devil, a thought in my pride. Love, me with your sleeve. Let your love light. Let it shine, 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 sh
Show no fear to the third woman. 